This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. This episode contains explicit and adult content. Listener discretion is advised. All cases and stories covered by this podcast are true stories involving real people. The opinions of the host and any interviewees are simply that, opinions. The credibility of any witnesses and what they say is to be determined by the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. It was a beautiful day, bright, sunny, and warm, a true mark that spring was soon turning into summer. A feeling of unspoken promise. It was Bonnie's 45th birthday, wedding anniversary, and the Monday of a long weekend. Little did she know that her husband Gary was planning a small get-together for her later that day. Everyone was home and Gary was waiting for a friend to pick him up so they can go together and get a cake for Bonnie's birthday. Bonnie quietly slipped out of the house shortly before 11 a.m., only to be found broken and bruised at the end of a neighbor's driveway just around the corner 10 to 15 minutes or so later. This is episode 16, Bruised and Broken, Bonnie Taddy's Story, and this is your host, Genevieve Germain. Just a few items about this podcast. True Crime Real Time is a bi-weekly podcast covering missing persons and unsolved murders. We're available across many platforms such as CastBox, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, and many others. Links, information, and pictures relating to the cases or stories we cover can be found on our website at www.truecrimerealtimepod.com or on our Instagram account or on our Facebook page. The links to Instagram, our website, and our Facebook page can be found on the podcast channel description. Photos, as well as any other information, are generally posted at the same time as when the episode is published. Now back to the show. Bonnie's life wasn't always an easy one. She had a hard upbringing. When Bonnie was young, her father died as a result of a homicide during a bar fight. She then lost contact with her mother and was placed in a foster home. She moved from foster home to foster home, running away from each one of them. And then, one day, she became pregnant with her first child, a boy she named David. Her younger brother said it was amazing to see the change in his sister when David was born, as she was so in love with the little boy. Unfortunately, she eventually lost custody of her little boy. Bonnie met Gary sometime in and around 1984. She was only 19 and he was 20 years her senior. But they weren't bothered by their May-December romance. Gary was head over heels. She was a blonde bombshell and very sweet. His Marilyn Monroe, he's quoted as saying. 
A friend introduced them, and they just clicked, and eventually ended up getting married at the little white chapel in Las Vegas on one of her birthdays. Then, some time later, along came Mitchell when she was 29 and Leah, just a year later. Her kids were the center of her world. Having gone so long without reconnecting with her mom, Bonnie devoted a lot of time when the kids were young and was a stay-at-home mom. Both her brother and husband Gary said that she was a great mom when things were going well. However, the unresolved traumas of her past and likely an undiagnosed mental health issue went hand-in-hand in the downward spiral she found herself in. At some point, Bonnie started drinking more and more, and as a consequence, she fell frequently. On one of these times that she fell, she injured her shoulder and was prescribed Oxycontin, which is a slow-release version of Oxycodone, or, in another name it's known, is Percocet. Like many before her, she developed a dependency and an addiction to opioids and may have also started selling on the street for extra money. Opioids are a class of drugs that act in the nervous system. Basically, they attach to different proteins called G-protein coupled receptors, or GPCRs, on nerve cells that are found in your brain, spinal cord, and some other parts of your body. They act in a few different ways. They can act on the limbic system, which controls emotions, and can give you a feeling of relaxation by releasing large amounts of dopamine. They also act on the nerve cells, or neurons, in the spinal cord, which block pain signals back to your brain, so you feel pain-free. And they can act on the brainstem, which controls breathing and your heartbeat. There are two main categories of opioids, legally prescribed, or, or medicine, and illegal drugs. Commonly prescribed opioids are codeine, morphine, oxycontin, or oxycodone, which is Percocet, and then Vicodin. These are usually prescribed to manage pain following surgery or for chronic pain, which is pain that persists over long periods of time. Both prescribed and illegal opioids can cause addiction, especially when used over a long period of time, even if the medications are prescribed properly and taken as directed. Addiction shouldn't be confused with dependency, though. Virtually everyone will become dependent on the drug if they take it long-term, meaning that if you abruptly stop, it would cause you physical and psychological withdrawal symptoms. A small percentage of people who take prescribed opioids do become addicted as well. One reason is because the longer you take the drug, the more your body gets used to it, and you start to feel as though you need more or a higher dosage to maintain the original feeling. Doctors will recognize this and will not typically increase the dosage because of the known risks. Therefore, a lot of people return to illegal means to obtain more. Addiction to opioids is characterized as a very strong compulsive urge to use them even if not needed medically. People who are addicted often will prioritize getting and using these drugs over other activities in their lives. This compulsive urge, coupled with a limited supply or having the supply cut off from their family doctor, will lead people to look for this via illegal means. Some people are more susceptible to addiction than others, and some scientists believe that there's a genetic component, but overall, it's not truly known why some people are more susceptible than others. The timelines on these events are unknown. However, it accumulated to the extent that Bonnie and Gary split in 2008, and Bonnie left the family home. Even though they did end up separating, Gary said they were still there for each other and he still loved Bonnie very much, which is why when she started to really try to turn her life around, he invited her back into the family home. 
She was rebuilding her relationship with her kids and had recently gotten back in touch with her mom. She was trying really hard to get her life back on the right track, but she still had her demons to fight. It wasn't until late 2009 to early 2010 that Bonnie had moved back into the family home with her two teenage children and her ex-husband. They had lived at that house for over 20 years. It's a very calm and quiet residential area filled with single-family homes. Monday, May 24, 2010 had exceptional weather, partially cloudy with a high of 26 degrees Celsius or 79 degrees Fahrenheit. It was Bonnie's 45th birthday and also Bonnie and Gary's wedding anniversary. Bonnie didn't know this, but Gary was arranging a surprise get-together for her later that day. He'd called a friend that morning so that they could go together and pick up a birthday cake and some other items. Bonnie stepped out of her house on Dalkeith Avenue shortly before 11 a.m., unbeknownst to Gary and her two kids. At around 11 a.m., neighbors said they heard a bang and turned to find Bonnie laying at the end of a driveway, bloody and bruised and barely breathing. One neighbor who didn't want to be named told the Hamilton Spectator journalist at the time that she was outside cleaning her vehicle on that Monday at approximately 11 a.m. on Rosslyn Avenue when she heard a loud bang behind her. She turned around and saw a woman lying face down near the road and saw a black SUV speed away. Witnesses heard someone yell, Hey! followed by a loud thump just before seeing a large black SUV speed off, slightly squealing its tires as it peeled away from the scene. Bonnie was barely recognizable. Her face was swollen, bloody, and bruised. She was breathing, but just barely. One of the neighbors said that even though they had known Bonnie most of their life, it wasn't until her husband came running out to her on the street that she realized who she was. I visited this location to get a sense of the area where Bonnie was fatally injured. This is the audio from that visit. Okay, I'm here on location. I'm on Rosslyn Avenue, uh, on the corner of Rosslyn and Dalkeith, or actually between Craig Miller Avenue and Dalkeith Avenue on Rosslyn Avenue. This is the location where the SUV hit or pushed Bonnie out of the car and likely ran over her, and she was found at the end of a neighbor's driveway, directly in between these two streets. Now, the SUV, the neighbors said that they had seen this SUV in this neighborhood before. The neighborhood itself is a little bit run down. It is winter time, so we're gonna see a lot less foliage than there was at the time when Bonnie was fatally injured. Um, there's not a lot of traffic that's going on in this area. It is the daytime. It's a Sunday. Probably would be a lot like um, the traffic goings on on a national holiday, which is the case on the day that Bonnie was hit. The SUV was actually seen on this street itself facing Barton Avenue, which is the same way I'm facing. And there's really only one location where her body could have been thrown out of the car or subsequently run over. And that's exactly where I'm parked right now. Now, apparently the SUV was on the um, left side of the road facing Barton Street. So on the wrong side of the road facing the wrong way. Um, 
two rules of the road here where you're when you're driving and or parking also parking is not permitted on that side of the street parking is permitted on the right side of the street and obviously you'd be facing Barton to park on this side as well so I'm going to take some photos um, but just to describe the area it's all single-family homes they're older homes um, some of them are a bit run down some of them are maintained uh, the ones around here seem to be maintained. It's going to look a little bit more uh, disheveled, or I should say, just because there's no greenery. Um, the one that I'm right beside that's actually on Delkeith, it could be either a single-family home with one apartment at the top. The, all the decking is actually new, so I'm not sure what that would have looked like uh, about nine and a half years ago. Um, some areas the fencing needs to be repaired so you're gonna see that in the photographs it kind of gives you a good idea of um, I guess the general economy or um, the, the demographics of the type of people that live in this area but all in all it's pretty quiet um, newer cars the place is a little bit run down but again that could be how we're seeing it in the winter time very quiet though I would imagine that a lot of witnesses or a lot of neighbors got a good look at that SUV because since I've been parked here, I've had a couple people come to their windows directly in the area that I'm parked and look at me. So that also gives me a good idea that I'm sure a lot of these witnesses came forward to the police and that's why there was so much description about what they've heard and what they saw. So I'm going to take some photographs. These photographs will be available on the website as well as on Instagram and Facebook. So you can take a look at those if you're listening to this at the same time or if you want to take a look before or after to see kind of the general um, neighborhood. I'm also going to try to find some photographs of this area with the foliage so you can kind of see. Now how I can describe this area a little bit further is this uh, Rosslyn Avenue in this section from Barton ends so it's a very small section there are only houses on one side so the way that I'm parked right now it's the end of Rosslyn Avenue and I'm facing towards Barton and Delkeith is behind me which is Delkeith the street that Bonnie lived on with her ex-husband and uh, two kids and two of her kids she was found on Rosslyn Avenue between Dalkeith and Craig Miller. So I'm facing Craig Miller. Now, on the right side of me is a, I guess it's kind of like a business. Um, I don't know if they do mechanic work or whatnot. That's just ahead of me. On the, directly beside me are train tracks. Um, there's a fencing area here there's trees and bushes now this would have been full of foliage but there's no houses or anything on that side the only houses that are actually on Rosslyn Avenue in this area so the ones that are facing Rosslyn Avenue the other ones are on the back of they're either on Craig Miller or they're on um, Dalkeith there's only about three houses so any of the witnesses would have seen there's one maybe on Craig Miller two um, there's only one that faces Delkeith between this two that faces Rosslyn Avenue I should say 
There's only one house that faces Rosslyn Avenue um, between the two streets, but there are two driveways. So one's the front door, it's directly on Rosslyn Avenue. The other one's on the corner of Craig Miller and Rosslyn Avenue, and the driveway is, um, or the car park is on, is on Rosslyn Avenue, and there's a side door that goes, or the back door that goes into the house. The front door is actually on Craig Miller. Now, there is another house on Craig Miller that has a car park there, so somebody could be washing the car, for example. However, um, I'm not sure if these bushes were here in 2010, but uh, if they're in their park car park, they wouldn't have seen much. If the bushes weren't there, they might have seen a little bit more. And that's pretty much the visuals that you're going to get. So when they said that she was she was found at the end of a neighbor's driveway on Roslyn Avenue that leaves really only one spot and that's right where I'm parked. So I'm going to take some photos of the surrounding area. Take a look at those. Like I said, it's very quiet. Um, there is a playground on the corner of Delkeith and, uh, and Roslyn. I don't know if that was there at the time. Remember, it's, it was a statutory holiday, so if it was, presumably there would have been some people there, um, some kids playing. It was a very, very nice and warm day. The high of 26 Celsius, which is 79 degrees Fahrenheit, so very warm. Probably around 11 a.m. it would have been around 24 to 25 degrees Celsius, so not at the hottest peak yet. It was full. It was partially cloudy, but mostly sunny and that would make it feel a little bit warmer as well. That kind of gives you a description. As far as the feeling of safety, I feel pretty safe here. I'm pretty sure that the person that was responsible for her, for Bonnie's death is known to her, or was known to her. Um, Gary said that she was in no way would ever get into a car or meet somebody in a car that she didn't know. The police have confirmed that this vehicle is a known vehicle that delivers drugs in this general neighborhood. Um, Bonnie did have an addiction to different opioids um, that started off as being a prescription, so she might have moved on to illegal sources of opioids. She could have been selling some as well, but probably at this point, you know, she, I don't know. She could have been selling and she could have been buying, but there was definitely uh, an element of drugs involved and witnesses or neighbors had said they'd seen this vehicle in this neighborhood before. So it wasn't um, just out of the blue. I believe witnesses, they, they would notice any kind of cars and they would notice any kind of what have you because there's not a huge amount of traffic in and out of this area. And like I said, I've been sitting here for maybe five, 10 minutes and I've already had a couple people stare at me. So other than that, that's pretty much it. No, no weird feelings. It's pretty, feels like a, a decent, decently safe neighborhood. The SUV was identified by witnesses as a flat black 1996 or 1997 GMC Jimmy SUV with a burnt out or smashed taillight and chrome rims. The GMC Jimmy had been parked on the wrong side of Rosslyn Avenue facing the wrong way, so on the left side of the street facing Barton Street. The residents had recognized the SUV as one that had been in the neighborhood before. Shortly after Bonnie's broken and bleeding body was dumped at the end of a neighbor's driveway on Rosslyn Avenue,
Gary received a phone call saying there was a woman lying on the street. Gary ran out instantly. In his heart, he knew it was Bonnie. When he reached her, she was still alive, but barely. She had a severe head injury and an injured torso. She was struggling to breathe, and she was not conscious. His first thought was that she was hit by a car. 911 was called. People had started gathering on the street, and naturally, when seeing their dad rush out and the people gathering on the street, the two teens came out as well. The two kids that lived at home were at home that day as it was Victoria Day, which is a federal Canadian public holiday in honour of Queen Victoria's birthday. Gary stopped the two kids from seeing their mom in this way, lying on the side of the street, broken and bleeding. Bonnie was tended to by the Emergency Response Services Units in Hamilton Fire Department and quickly brought to the Hamilton General Hospital, where she underwent emergency surgery for her life-threatening injuries. The police blocked off the street. There were uniformed patrol officers on scene as well as divisional detectives, a forensic services unit, the accident reconstruction unit, as well as members of the victim assistance office. The uniformed police officers canvassed the neighborhood looking for anyone who may have witnessed the incident. Gary had mentioned that she had made some friends in the past year of her life, people that he didn't know. He believed that some of these friends may have known where she was going or who she was with. Bonnie was either thrown from the car or run over or very likely both. Law enforcement will not confirm these details. Gary said that Bonnie would not have gotten into the car with a stranger, and it is assumed that she knew the occupant or occupants. The police said that Bonnie was hurt in a very short time frame before she was found. She remained in hospital in critical condition in a coma, and she never regained consciousness. The prognosis wasn't very good. The doctors hadn't given the family reason to hope for recovery. Bonnie was placed on life support. Her heart continued beating for almost a week after she was taken off life support, and she subsequently died on June 17, 2010. Her death was ruled a homicide. Witnesses indicated that there was a male occupant driving the vehicle, and one witness told the police that they saw a female who was not Bonnie in the back of the SUV. Investigators believe drugs were involved. The SUV and the male occupant are believed to be a known drug dealer or that the vehicle was known to deliver drugs in the neighborhood. At one point, law enforcement told Gary that they believed they knew who the woman was in the back of the SUV, However, she had passed away in 2018. To this extent, law enforcement have also confirmed that there is a person of interest. Gary still lives in the same house and in the same community. He told Susan Claremont, a reporter for the Hamilton Spectator, earlier last year that he passes by the spot where the love of his life was fatally injured and that he has agonized for the past nine years over her final moments. Was she beaten? Run over? Was it intentional? Was it over drugs? He told Susan that he was frustrated because no one has officially been blamed for her death. Police have floated a couple of names to Gary, but he said he didn't recognize them and that Bonnie had made friends in the past few years or so of her life and he didn't know them. He did stress that she would not have gotten into the vehicle with someone unknown to her. Bonnie was cremated and a memorial ceremony held for her on Saturday, June 26, 2010. All her children are grown adults now, and Gary said she would be very proud of them. If she were still alive, she would be a grandmother now. 
Her children were her treasures. They missed out on having her there for their graduations, their weddings, to celebrate career successes, and the birth of her first grandchild. People, please come forward. You're not helping the police. You're helping Bonnie and her family. If you have any information pertaining to the events leading up to Bonnie's fatal injury on May 24, 2010, can say who her known associates were and identify any person in that vehicle, as well as locate the vehicle, anything at all that could bring closure to Bonnie's case for the sake of her family, please contact the Major Crime Unit of the Hamilton Police at 905-546-3829, that's 905-546-3829, or if you wish to remain anonymous, you can provide your tip to Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS, that's 1-800-222-8477 or online by visiting CrimestoppersHamilton.com. That's CrimestoppersHamilton.com. This brings us to the end of Bonnie Taddy's story, and I hope you'll join us in two weeks' time for the next case that we're going to be covering. And guys, I'm really excited to tell you I'm publishing my very first episode on the Canadian Correctional System on Patreon, and research is underway on the second Patreon episode, which will cover the very last two people executed in Canada before capital punishment was abolished. If you want to listen to exclusive episodes, ad-free, and early release episodes, head over to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com. There are several different options, ranging from armchair detective to co-producer. The link is in the description. I would also like to thank all of those of you who've taken the time to leave me a positive review. I really appreciate all of your support. Make sure you check us out at truecrimerealtimepod.com to read the true crime article on this episode, as well as see the accompanying photos. If you have questions, comments, or case suggestions, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at truecrimerealtimepod at gmail.com or complete the case submission form on our website. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of True Crime Real Time. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a good rating and leave us a review. This will help our reach and bring more attention to the cases we cover. Thank you.